Last week, we had a chance to talk about Mary's faith in her humble acceptance of God's plan for her. This week, we look at how she can rejoice even after some time and reflecting on how difficult this situation will be. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, December 16th, 2012. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, We're in the middle of a series that is going to continue. We started just a couple of weeks ago, if you remember, with the story of Christmas. So we started with uh, the announcement to Zechariah. He's an older man. They had been praying for a child. We don't know how long they were still praying or if they had given up on their prayer. But the angel appears and says, you are going to have a baby. And he, of course, as you remember, does not believe it at all. Well, six months later, um, the angel comes again. The angel Gabriel goes to a woman called Mary, a woman named Mary. A young girl. I don't know if he's like the Maytag repairman that Gabriel only works like every six months or something. But um, so he shows up and he goes to talk to Mary and he says, "You know what? You are going to give birth to a child." She is not afraid. She does not freak out. She simply says, "What kind of greeting is this? I, I don't know what this means." And the angel explains that the Holy Spirit is going to come and uh, impregnate her, and she's going to carry the birth uh, and give birth to the Son of God. And her response, if you remember, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Uh, We walk through, we spent some time, and I think that was important to walk through what kind of situation that would have been for Mary, that she still has this response. And this meant that she was going to carry the creator of the universe in her womb. And she simply says, may it be to me as you've said. She has to go and explain to her parents, remember she's a young teen, that I'm pregnant and an angel told me that I would get pregnant. This is, don't, don't worry about it because God has made me pregnant. You don't, it, it, this has never happened before. It never happens again. And yet, could you imagine that convo with your kids? If you've got like a teenage daughter, you'd be like, how about you go out that door and you come back again one more time? And then she leaves and then one more time. Trying to explain this, and then she has to explain it to her relatives, and she has to explain it to the townspeople, and she has to explain it, and all this shame, all the wonder of people being excited for her, it's like slowly you could see start to drift away, and then I think the hardest part would be explaining it to her fiancé, this man who had said, I'm pledging my life to you, and she has to sit down and say, well, um, I'm pregnant, if she even did tell him. Um, And the question is, if she did tell him, we look at Matthew, he still wants to divorce her. So even though maybe she told him and explained the whole situation, he just doesn't believe her. But in the midst of all this cloud of difficulty, she still says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. My question is this. I'm going to go back a couple slides. Do you think it was just like an accident that she would have such a great response? Have you ever done something or said the right thing by accident? Has this ever happened to you? Like you're talking to someone, you're in class, and you say the wrong answer, actually, and the teacher mishears it, and they're like, that's a great answer. And you're like, yeah, thanks. Or has this happened at work, like you've done something by accident? You sent the wrong thing, and the person gets it. They're like, that was an awesome move. Bold, but I like it. You know, and you're like, you got it, you got it. This has happened to me a couple times, and I've told you the stories, but I only have like two good stories, so I will relate one. One is uh, Sambo. I'll make this one quick, which is one of my favorite stories. Is um, It was Good Neighbor Day, and so we got a free dozen roses. We put one on each of our neighbor's uh, step, and we got to keep a rose. Now, Amy, my wife, actually did this. She didn't keep all the roses to herself, and she drops one off at Mike's house. Now, 
Um, Mike loved Sam, which was not even his dog. It was our neighbor's dog. But he loved Sambo. That's what he called him, this huge, massive dog. If we drive too fast over the speed bumps, he would be yelling at us. I mean, and the road, like by your car, and you're like, oh, we're scared. Keep the windows rolled up. Well, we got there, and um, we put their, the roses out on everyone's front porch. And then, at like at 10 at night, Mike comes to our door. Obviously had too much to drink. He's been crying, and his face is red. And we're like, should we answer the door? And he was like, you answer it. I'm like, all right, I'll answer it. So we answer it. And he's like this, just distraught. He's like, you know, I had you all wrong. I'm like, what's that? He's like, thanks for remembering Sambo. Sambo had died that day. And he thought that we loved Sambo the dog so much that we had left a rose on his front door. For and from then on, we were heroes in his mind. Like, he never honked at us again. We'd be going by, he'd be pointing us, giving us the thumbs up. We're like, you got it, Mike. Did I even think about saying, no, 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 we don't care about the dog. We, we were just trying to be a good neighbor. You wouldn't even think about it. A couple years ago, I'd like to think it was a couple years ago, got a chance to play college football. This is a tiny college, so don't get any ideas. So I got to play, and uh, the coach had two sons. And it was like... Um, uh, the twins, the movie with Danny DeVito, and like the one, so the one son is literally six foot seven and 325 pounds. I mean, he was a m- massive human being. I didn't get to play with him. Well, the other son was like six foot one, which is solid, uh, but like 175 pounds. And he was a tight end, and he was terrible. I mean, he was unbelievably bad. And so I'm the quarterback, and somehow he gets in the game, and, and this is like my reaction usually when I see him. I'm like, are you kidding me? This guy can't catch. I mean, at all. Like, he'd throw it at him, and it would be like one of these, like, automatic machines. He'd pop it down. And um, so he gets in the game. It's first and goal, which is the worst time you want a guy who can't catch. So I go around. It's first and goal, I remember, and there's pressure coming. I'm looking, I'm looking, and I throw it. And slides in. His nickname was Juice comes sliding in, and this is how he would catch. This is how, like, you show you love someone. That's how he would catch. Like, most guys would catch like this, but Juice comes swinging by, and it hits him in the chest, which it shouldn't do. You know, it should hit him in the hands. It hits him in the chest. He squeezes it, and he scores. And he gets up, and, of course, he excessive celebration, which is kind of funny. It's like the only pass he's ever caught in his whole life. And I get to the sideline. The coach is crying. He's crying, and he gives me this hug. And he's like, thanks, Jared. I never saw his son. I was throwing the ball away. So this is, not, this is totally true. I'm going, I'm looking, I'm looking. And normally you throw it out the back of the end zone, but it was tight and I was like going to go down. So I just kind of threw it towards the goal line. And I have no idea where he came from. I never saw him. This guy just comes streaking in. And I remember, I had to be like this. What? He catches it. Everyone's celebrating. They're like, I can't believe you threw a touchdown to Jews. And I'm telling my friends, I'm like, I never saw him. I was, th- I was throwing it to the ground, and he caught it. Do you think I mentioned that to the coach? He's probably listening right now. He's like, are you kidding? I used to like this guy. Our online listers went from three to two right now. We're done. So you've done things by accident, right, that have turned out better than you ever expected. I'm sure this has happened at work and things like this. My question is, <coughs> excuse me, is this what happened with Mary? You know, <coughs> in the, the heat of the moment, um, she, she hasn't even thought about what's going to come up yet, and she just says, I'm the Lord's servant, let's do it. And she hasn't even thought about it, just like by accident, just kind of whips this out. Or is this a response that's built on faith? 
So we're going to look just, I mean, we're going to continue this story just a little bit and wonder, is this something that's by accident? You've got to ask in your own life. Many of you have gone through some difficult things. Mary is about to go through a lot of difficult stuff. We just talked about some of them last week. Cancer that's affected you. Um, you've talked about illness. Some of your kids who you hoped would be um, regular and worship and growing have started to drift away. These are hard things. Or um, some of you have been tricked, like through work. You've been tricked into things. Or uh, people you love have tricked you. Some of you have had um, your spouse have an affair on you. And you're going, I want to just say the right thing, which Mary did. She accepted that God has a bigger plan, and I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you've said. The question is, um, with time, does she continue to do the same thing? Time's a difficult thing, don't you think? Doesn't time kind of clarify things? That's why we call it 2020 hindsight. It's not like 2020 current sight. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't drive a day woo and your jokes would be funnier and things like this. But instead, it's the hindsight. You look back and you're like, you know what I should have said? You know what I should have done? And I wonder if Mary, after a little bit of time, is going to look back and say, why did I even say that? I'm actually kind of mad about this whole thing. So this is how the story continues. Um, at that time, so this is immediately after in the book of Luke. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So we got a couple things. <coughs> uh, what I'm going to talk about. The first one is... Uh, when she hears this greeting, the baby leaps in her womb, and she identifies that in a minute to say that the baby recognizes this. I think this is pretty cool because who is in the womb of Elizabeth at this point? John the baptizer. And what is John's job? To identify the Christ. So his job already, you talk about a tough go, girls and boys. When you're, you're thinking, I got to work when I'm 18, this guy started in the womb. His job starts, and his job is to point out who the Savior is. His job, kids, is um, trying to show who the Savior was. That's his main deal. And it's like rocket boosters. What's the main job of the rocket boosters? Is any, it's PG-13, so hopefully not, kids. But has anyone seen Men in Black 3? Okay, Men in Black 3. Um, they, he has to put that force field, that shield on the rocket, right? So why doesn't he just slap it on the bottom instead of climbing up all the stairs? Why doesn't he just put it on the bottom? That weird guy who wears all the winter clothes told him it's got to go on the top, and why does it have to go on the top of the rocket? Because when it gets up to space, we don't get to see this very often, but when it gets up to space, because um, all those rocket boosters and stuff fall off, and they fade away. And that was really John the baptizer's job. His job was to clear the way and get Jesus into a position so that the world would know him. And then his job was to fade away. But this is not the first time. Uh, this is the first time he identifies Jesus. When's another time, can you think of? He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His whole life, his whole function is like those rockets to get Jesus in a position the world would see him as Savior. And then it was John's job not to stick around and get all the photo ops, but to fade away so that ultimately the ultimate star of the world is going to be seen, and that's Jesus. So he gets to see this. And then the Holy Spirit, um, this seems to be uh, Elizabeth prophesying as well. This is in uh, verse 42. So in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is your child, the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. What, why, do you think, um, why do you think she was so excited? Can you imagine, just think for a second, being Elizabeth. Um, Mary has not explained anything at this point. She walks in and says, hey. And then suddenly, like, Elizabeth is breaking out into this song and this speech and talking about it. So Elizabeth is six months pregnant, and she's very old at this point. So she's six months pregnant. She is identifying a couple things. The baby in her womb, what, she knows that job, right? What's John's job? To identify the Savior. So she knows that. She knows the Savior of the world is going to come from whose line? David's line. From David's line. And who is it that her relative is? A relative of David. So she's starting to put all these things together, and now through the Holy Spirit she identifies, this is the one. This is the seed that was going to crush the devil's head. This is the one who is going to go to the cross. This is the one who is going to take away the sins of the world. This is the one that's going to make me right with God. And so she says, how is it that you actually get to be in my presence? I'm so excited about that. And she continues, blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary sings. When's the last time uh, you sang for joy because of something? And I think this is a natural reaction. If you talk about like the seed of emotion, like saying something, you can always kind of control what you say, but have you ever just like broke out in song? I'll just hold that for a while. Nobody at your wedding? Is this only happen in the movies? I mean, White Christmas, that was a trick, wasn't it? Have you seen that movie? That The whole thing's a musical. I'm like, are you kidding me? Or what about um, It's a Wonderful Life? They sing at the end. When things are going well in movies, people sing. I think that's how it works. Or when people are falling in love, they sing. I, the movie, Enchant- isn't it Enchanted, where she sings, How Do You Know? How do you- I can't do it with this voice. Otherwise, you know, it'd be perfect. Right? They sing at certain points. When do they sing in movies? Do they sing when things are lousy? Only in the most depressing movies like Les Mis or um, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, he sings. Donny Osmond sings in there. Um, Close Every Door to Me. He's got this depressing scene when he's in prison playing Joseph and no one else watches that show, so I'll just keep going. Right? So, so usually in movies, though, when you sing... It's because everything is going fantastic. The whole world has all aligned. And at the end of a movie, there's never any loose ends of bad news that are happening. Mary sings a song in a sense. It doesn't say she's saying, but I mean, from now on, um, people often sing the Magnificat. And this is the song that she sings. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She sings. My question to you is, as you look at your own circumstance, the own difficulty that you're running into, does singing take away the trouble? Is Mary singing because all the troubles have finally melted away? Like she goes to Elizabeth's house and she goes, oh, you know what? It is not going to be embarrassing when I go home. She stays three months. I think she's not in a quick mood to go and go talk to the neighbors. Does that mean, does it melt away? Does the embarrassment melt away with having to talk to her friends and her relatives? 
does the shame like just melt away because she can sing a song and now it's a, just sing a song and everything's okay? Does it melt? Does she still have to talk to her fiance? Yeah. So think about your own difficulties. Mary sings. How can you rejoice when you know there's still trouble right behind the corner, right around the corner? I'll give you an example. Uh, King David, who had had an affair, and Bathsheba got pregnant with, uh, uh, through the affair, and this whole mess, and I'm not going to get in the whole deal, the whole mess. Uh, but at the end of this whole deal, after he confesses his sins, he essentially sings a song that we sing, Create in me a pure heart of God and renew a right spirit within me. His son still dies, yet he sings. And why is it that he sings? Because the biggest issue in his life is taken care of. His sins are gone. And no matter what the world kind of shovels in at that point, things are going to be okay. Mary sits down with her relative Elizabeth. And maybe this 2020 hindsight, she's starting to say, this is going to be the biggest pain of my whole life. Instead, she gets new perspective to say what? My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God. Mary is not perfect because she says, God, my Savior. In her womb, she's not going through this trouble just because of a baby. She's not going through this trouble just because of her own baby. She's going through this trouble because the Savior of the world who takes her sins away is in her womb. And she can sing. I don't know what's going on in your life coming up. I mean, this is the time that you usually think about it. Is it cancer? Is it someone that you know has committed suicide? Is it um, illness of some other kind? Is it you've lost your job? Is it you're, you're not finding any fulfillment at work? Is it you've got um, frustration because relatives have tricked you? Is it because your relationship has fallen apart? And in that, do you say, you know what? I'm not singing until everything is perfect. Or can you step back with Mary and look at your circumstances and say, the most difficult things in my life are taken care of. My sins are gone, and I can rejoice in God my Savior. It does not take away the difficult parts. Mary still, in three months, had to go walk and face the world. But you can face the world knowing that the most difficult parts in your life are taken care of. St. Augustine talks about faith. And what he says is, we'd like to see, uh, just have faith in the things we see, but he says that's not faith. Faith is having, um, it's believing in the things that you can't see. The reward of that faith, the reward of your faith, is getting to finally see what you believe in. I don't know when that's going to happen. But I know on the last day, when Christ comes again, finally, to hold you in his arms, he's going to say, here's the reward. You get to see what you believe in. And that's a Savior who has taken care of you, even in your darkest days. Amen.